Very good. Uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 9. And we're going to open in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for all that you've given us so far. We ask you to anoint this next time. Keep my speech working the way it's supposed to through you. And let it be of an anointing and special in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke 9, at this point in Luke, we have a lot of the book left. But we're already in the last year of Jesus' ministry. And we're going to be looking at that from where we're at. This was also in many, many uh, books called the Year of Opposition. All right, before this, Jesus was doing miracles. He was considered a good guy. He, you know, some people thought he was a magician, you know, doing tricks. Uh, but his last year, opposition started going on because he started declaring that he was the Messiah. He started declaring that he was God. Uh, he started saying things that the Jewish leaders did not like to hear. Uh, and so they started making plans on how can we get rid of this person. Everywhere he goes, he's drawing a crowd. We're not getting a crowd. They're going to him, and he is saying things that we don't necessarily agree with. So this is the setting on where we're at. So starting at verse 1, Then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over the all devils to, and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, neither staves nor scrip, neither bread nor money, neither have two coats apiece, and whatsoever house you enter into, there abide in, and thence depart. And whosoever will not receive you when you go out of the city, shake your, off the very dust of your feet from your feet for a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard that of all that was done by him, and he was perplexed because it, that it was said of some that John has risen from the dead, and of some that Elijah had appeared, and of others that one of the old prophets was risen again. And Herod said, John have I beheaded, but who is this of whom I hear such things? And he desired to see him. And the apostles, when they had returned, told him all that they had done. And he took them and went aside privately into a de desert place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. Bethsaida. And the people, when they knew, followed him. And he received them and spoke unto them of the kingdom of God and healed them that were, had need of healing. So we're looking at here of Jesus sending out the twelve disciples, the, the 12 chosen ones out of the hundreds of people that followed him everywhere and thousands of people that gathered. He says here that he called the 12 and he gave them power and authority. Now I find this kind of interesting because I have seen some people who think they have power but no authority. All right, And this happens a lot of times. We've all been in a business where somebody thinks that they're in charge when they have not been given the authority to be in charge. Usually, when you give somebody authority, they will also have power. You don't usually pick the wimpiest person in your, in your business to become the one in charge. But if you're given authority, you have authority. All right? uh, now, you know the person doesn't have power behind authority when you hear something like, I'm the shift supervisor, I'm the manager, I'm the, you know, if they have to say, I'm this title, they're missing the power part of it. And it's a very, very similar in talk, but, you know, We've all seen it. Sometimes the people that have power aren't the ones that are, in, you know, with the, a title. 
I've, I've been there many times where I'm, I'm a leader. If I don't have the authority, you know, if I don't have the title, I still, people listen to me. <laughs> and, you know, so Jesus gave them both power and authority. So he says, you're going to have the power and I'm giving you the authority so that when you speak to the demons, they will recognize you have been empowered by me. And they would not have an option of saying, we're not going to be listening. So this is a very interesting distinction of what he's given him. Now we read in Acts that the Holy Spirit came on them and they received power. Uh, you know, not necessarily authority because God had already given them the power before. He just now embedded the, the, uh, the authority, excuse me, he gave them the authority before. And then when he was taken up into heaven, he said, Go and preach the gospel and make disciples and baptize, baptize and make disciples. And that is the calling that we all have as Christians. We have the, the power of the Holy Spirit in us and we have the authority to preach the gospel. So we have all of that and we need to be able to take that because so many Christians do not share the gospel. Now, I was listening to one of the pastors on the way in today and he was commenting how many people, it was maybe yesterday, uh, he was commenting on how pe many people tried to make bridges to the, to the lost world. You know, I'm going to make friendship with them. I'm going to make, you know, we're going to be good friends. And then sometime in the future, I will tell them about the gospel. <laughs> and his comment was the same thing. It was so funny because I've always said the same thing. He goes, most people never get to the giving of the gospel because they spend so much time making a friend that they don't want to offend the friend. Now, so I agree, Jesus was very good at making bridges. When he went to the woman at the well of Samaria, he started with the well and the need of water, and he built that, but he very quickly came to the point where he told her, you know, about the need for, for him. And we need to be able to do that, share the need of Christ with other people, because what is the most important thing in, in this world is getting saved. No matter what else you might think is important in this world, the most important decision we can make is to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and end up going to heaven for eternity. And we need to take that same attitude toward our family and friends and be able to share and plan on giving the good news. Now, I also want to point out that what the message that they were to give him, he sent them to preach or proclaim the kingdom of God. Note here, he, they weren't sent to give the gospel message. That Jesus, the Messiah, is here to die for your sins because they did not even understand it. The 12 disciples did not understand why Jesus was there. You see it in their comments. You see it when they were hiding after, after, the, after Jesus was crucified. What were they coming to? Fought, we're following the Messiah. In their mindset, they were going, the Messiah's coming. He's going to throw off Rome. And we're going to have a kingdom here. We're going to be his dukes and princes because we were on his side right from the very beginning. We're going to be the top dogs in, the, in this new kingdom that's going to get rid of, get rid of uh, Rome. And this is going to be an eternal kingdom that doesn't end. And how do I know that this is what they're saying? Because in Daniel chapter 4, excuse me, 2 verse 44, it says, this is Daniel interpreting the dream that Nebuchadnezzar has. And it's at the very last of it when the rock is cut from the mountain and crushes all the, the uh, feet of my, uh, clay and mud and everything else and destroys it all. He says, and in those days the king shall 
the king shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed and the kingdom shall not be left to other people but it shall break up in pieces and consume all those kingdoms and it shall stand forever Forasmuch that you saw that the stone was cut from the mountain without hands, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God hath made it known to you, O king, that is what shall come to peace hereafter. And the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof sure. When the Jewish people thought about the kingdom of God, this is what they were thinking of. The kingdom where Israel was going to rule. Now, it's kind of funny because I was curious what other people have said about this I don't recommend that you study the kingdom of God from most of these Christian teachers point of view because they got a lot of stupid things to say <laughs> you know um, they talk about the the gospel message and all of that but you've got to remember Jesus at this time is talking to the Jewish people his disciples are Jewish they when they use the term kingdom of God all through the prophet I could have read you a whole bunch of Old Testament sta statements about the kingdom of God they're all the same when Messiah comes, he's going to establish the kingdom, and God's kingdom will be on this earth for eternity. This is what they were doing. And now they're going out and telling the people, Messiah's here. Can you imagine the excitement of this message to the people? These people in Israel had been under the rule of the Greeks before the Romans. Now they're under Roman rule. And all this time they keep talking about there's coming a Messiah. A Messiah is coming who's going to deliver us. We're going to be, just as God promised us, the center of everything. This is a big deal. Now, this message is not very popular with the scribes and Pharisees. <laughs> and the Sadducees, now the Sadducees it's really not popular with because they have already, they've got their power that Rome has given them and they're collaborators with Rome. So when Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is here, the Sadducees are really upset. Like, hold it, if this new kingdom comes along, we have no power, we have no authority. The Pharisees were a little more spiritually oriented for the most part, but even they were, you know, collaborating with Rome at this time because if they didn't, they didn't have power. And all of a sudden they're going, hold it, we've got a king. Maybe. And they're looking at Jesus, and they don't know enough about Jesus, because what is he called? Jesus of Nazareth. So the Pharisees are looking in the Bible and saying, he can't, this can't, he can't be the Messiah. He didn't come from Bethlehem. He's a Nazarene. He can't, he can't be the Messiah. He can't, you know, we're not even sure he's of the line of David. So there was all this opposition and they didn't have the internet to be able to look up his, his birthplace and, and his birth certificate and all that stuff to find out who he was. So they're all going, nope, can't be. This nut is another one of the people claiming to be Messiah. And this was one of the things that the Romans had to deal with all the time. There were always these guys rising up as military leaders saying, I'm the Messiah, drawing a crowd of people to them, causing battles and wars and and uh, problems with, with the Roman people. The Romans would send soldiers and kill them and all their, all their uh, followers have, would die out. And so this is the big deal. The disciples are saying, we're following the Messiah. And you know, we always wonder because, you know, when I read the New Testament, it's so interesting. Jesus keeps telling the disciples, I'm gonna die and then I'm gonna rise again. 
and yet it surprised them when he was, was arrested and crucified. And they were depressed. You know, it's all over. We've been following the wrong person. And so would we. <laughs> if we were following him, we would, we would have been just like them. Because how many times do you, if you totally believe something, do you, do you really hear the, anything that is against what you believe? In most cases, no. You're kind of just like, well, you, yeah, whatever. <laughs> you know, you know, I, it, it doesn't match. And unfortunately, in the Christianity, we have a lot of that that goes on. You know, we have a, the Bible that tells us that God created everything in six, six days and rested on the seventh day. And then we hear science telling us that, no, we've been around for, for millions and millions of years. We have to make a decision, which are we going to believe? Now, whichever one you believe, you, don't, you really don't believe the opposite. When I was in school, I absolutely believed that it, in, in creation. And I had lots of arguments with my science teachers <laughs> when, in school. And I wasn't very nice back there. I've learned to be diplomatic since then. <laughs> uh, but I had done a lot of research. I had found out why just about everything in my science book was wrong through articles in the science journals. And my teachers didn't like that I could disprove every word that they had said just about. All right, so it didn't go over well because they believed in evolution. So everything I said, even though it wasn't, I didn't try to teach, you know, show them from the Bible, I would show them from uh, scientific articles that they were wrong. You know, and this is the thing about it. Whatever you believe, you're going to believe and not be, not, not be uh, listening to the arguments against. Now, this also makes it difficult when we're trying to soul win. You know, you are a lost, God calls you a lost sinner, you're headed for hell. No, I'm a pretty good person. I hear that so often. You know, it's very interesting when the prisoners tell me that they're good people. And they'll tell me something like, well, I'm better than all the, uh, most of the people I know. And I even said to one, and go, you're in prison. <laughs> you know, you're in prison. Most of the people you know are not the, the cream of the crop of the world. Not that every one of them are really terrible guys, but I mean, nonetheless, it's, you know, who do we usually compare ourselves to? Do we, you know, when we're going to compare ourselves, do we look to the better people than us? Up on the bottom of the barrel, look at all these people that are better. No, we usually pick out all the people that, well, I'm better than that person and that person and that person. Oh, drop that person. <laughs> uh, and this is the problem that we have. And when we're sharing the gospel with people, we have to get them to understand what God says. And this is why when we're sharing the gospel, we want to use the word of God because God says his word does not return void. And it's real funny because I've, I've talked to people who go, I don't believe the Bible. I'll go, yeah, I got that. Uh, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting. I told you I don't believe in the Bible. Oh, I understand. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But, the, you know, I don't believe. The, I understand, but I quote them the Bible. <laughs> why? Because that's where our power is. We, we give the scriptures. Also, when we're sharing the gospel, we can give our testimony. What did God do for you when you got saved? You know, I am a full believer that when you become saved, you are a new creation in Christ and something in your life has changed. It may be something simple. All of a sudden, the Bible makes sense. <laughs> it might be something simple that I want to go to, I want to, go to church and I want to be with God's people. It could be something really dramatic where God takes a sin out of your life that you've been trying to get rid of. 
but there needs to be something that says, God made me new. Now he's going to spend the rest of your life completing that newness. <laughs> you know, I've always wondered, because I've seen people who are miraculously saved and all kinds of things change in their life, and, and it's like their, their day was from night to day. I wasn't one of those. <laughs> uh, God has had to work very slowly with me and knock out things. Now, he did take my temper away very quickly. But overall, everything else has taken a long time. In recent years, I've come to a place where I'm very thankful that he did it slowly. Because one of the things I have noticed by people who have miraculous salvations, oftentimes they're impatient with us that have to take a long time. Well, what do you mean you're still growing? God did this for me instantly in one night. And I'm going, well, now you need to learn some humility. <laughs> if God did it, why are you so proud? You know, and God has taken a long time. You know, I've only been following him for, for 50 years, and it's taken him a long time to work a lot of my stuff out of my life. And he still has a lot more to work out. But, you know, it's wonderful to watch him work to have our minds changed by the Spirit. And so he's telling them, go share the kingdom of God and heal people. Why is that heal people important? Because he's saying God's kingdom has started and now we're going to give you the power over devils and sicknesses to heal. Because ultimately the greatest part of the kingdom of God, it started when Jesus came here that the Messiah came. But the true kingdom of God is not going to happen until the end of the tribulation period when Jesus comes back and sets up the millennial kingdom. And then he will reign for a thousand years from Jerusalem as a center of everything. And diseases and everything apparently are going to be back because it tells us that if anybody lives to be only a couple hundred years old, they're a child. And it appears that people are going to be living closer to the, to the years that they did before the flood 800, 900, 1,000 year period of time. It also tells us that the animals will be returned back to the state that they're supposed to be in, which means the animals will be vegetarians as they were created. said the lion will, will lay down with the lamb, the child will play at the asp's nest and not have any fear. I can't even imagine what that will be like, and we'll be there. As, if you are saved, you'll be there as the bride of Christ. We will help him rule during that period of time and over the individuals that have made it through the millennial, uh, through the tribulation period. So we've got a lot to look forward to. And then at the end of that millennial kingdom, Satan is released to her one last test of the people that are, are there. And Jesus ends that battle, goes to the white throne judgment, destroys this world, and starts all over with it on a brand new heaven and earth where it will be forever perfect. Can you imagine what perfect is? I can't. Everything I can think of is tainted by sin. You know, we look at our world and even the things we think are perfectly balanced systems and everything have imperfections in them. Now, I'm looking forward to what perfection is and reigning with Christ at that point. Now, Jesus tells them to go out with nothing. <laughs> now, there are a lot of different missionary organizations. There are some that go so far that you had to be totally prepared and totally prepped up before you go out. You're not going to have to depend on God because you just went to every church and you've got, you know, usually one and a half times what your need is a pledge just in case they don't give and you go out. I have no problem with that. I'm a planner. I like that kind of a plan. It's a, it's a wonderful plan. 
There are other organizations out there that says, well, Jesus told the disciples to go out with nothing. We should go out by nothing and walk by faith. And I've seen that be very good. Um, walking by faith is not an easy thing. When that bill is due the next morning and you don't have the, the item on it, walking by faith is quite a trial. And you're going, God, uh, hey, a bill's due tomorrow. <laughs> now the good news is, when I've walked by faith, God has always provided. You know, um, it, so he always will provide our needs, but that does not mean we're to be stupid and just always go out and not plan on paying our bills. All right? We walk a very fine line. All right? If you waste all your money and you get to that bill and you go, God, you didn't pay it. He goes, yes, I did, but you bought, you bought all this other stuff with the money that I provided. Uh, He's going to say, now you get to suffer with the consequences of your actions. So walking by faith is quite an interesting thing. But he also said, whenever you are accepted, stay at that house the whole time that you're at that village. And it brings blessing to that, to that town. He goes, if you're rejected, he goes, as you're going out, symbolically shake off the dust of your, of the, from your very sandals, which was basically pronouncing a curse on them. And Roman, Roman things. You, know, you guys didn't want us. God, God's going to take care of you. Now, it's kind of an interesting thing because these ideas of precatory prayers were very big in the Jewish world. We see David praying, praying down justice and, and, and fire and, and, you know, God, you go get my enemies. We saw Elijah and Elisha actually calling down literal fire on their enemies. Especially Elijah, he killed two, two, you know, he had two, two troops of uh, enemies come down, and God says, he says, well, if I'm a prophet, let, let me prove it, and fire came down from heaven and killed the entire company of soldiers twice. The third guy came a little more humble, he goes, hey, don't, please don't kill us, uh, you know, I'm just following orders, <laughs> would you please come down and see, see the, you know, the king has called you, would you please come with me to see the king? And he went, but, you know, and when they have, uh, James and John, you know, they're calling, you know, the people are rejecting Jesus, and they say, shall we call down fire? <laughs> and Jesus says, you don't understand the spirits you're, you're, you're dealing with. When Jesus came, he changed a lot of our attitude toward enemies. What did Jesus tell us we're supposed to do to our enemies? He did not tell us, call down fire and call down curses upon them. He said, love your enemies, do good to those that despitefully use you. Oh, that is real easy for us as humans to do, isn't it? <laughs> you know, and I'm being very facetious on that. It is not easy for us. We do not like to be kind to people that do bad things to us. We want to do what the Jews did and call down, God, go get them. Go get them. Good news is God is eventually going to get them in his time. And his time is not our time. When somebody is evil to us, we say, God, why didn't you get them yesterday before they even started this? Seems how you knew what they were going to do. And God says, just be patient. God does not close the books until the white throne judgment for the, for the lost world or death. <laughs> you know, God gives them every opportunity to turn to him. And we look at it and say, God, why didn't you get them? Why didn't you stop them? Why didn't you kill them? And God says, well, because I know that they're going to turn to me later on. I know that I'm going to give them an opportunity to turn. We don't see it. We don't understand it. 
All we know is we got hurt. But we need to really understand that God has a plan in anything that happens to us. Now, sometimes his plan is hard to understand in, in the moment. When it seems like your whole world is being turned upside down and you're being shaken like a, like a rag doll, and you're going, God, uh, this doesn't look good. It doesn't feel good. I don't like it. God says, I have a plan. If you're facing martyrdom, God says, I've got a plan. And I talk about it all the time, and I don't know how many people have read it, but Fox's Book of Martyrs has a long, long story about all these people who died for Christ. Their story is still being told today, some of them 2,000 years later. Many of them only 1,000 years later. And people are being touched and getting saved by their death. Now, I'm sure when they were being, you know, Burned at, the, burned at the stake, had their, having their heads chopped off, uh, being scourged, having their insides pulled out with hooks. You know, they were not very happy with what was going on and didn't like it. Going, God, how, you know, uh, I, was, I was the head of the church. Why should I die <laughs> this way? God, look at all the people I was touching. People were growing. People were getting saved. And now you're having me get killed. And God says, because your death is going to elevate the sun. Now, we need to be able to look and say, God, when things are bad happening to us, and it's not easy, believe me, I know. <laughs> but, you know, I've told you, my, my grabbing on is Romans 8.28. And I'll go, God, I really don't understand any, what's going on, but <laughs> you have promised that all things work together for good. Do you really believe that all things will work out for good? Now, that good may just be rewards in heaven. That good may be people seeing Christ in you when you go through these sufferings. You don't know. We need to just understand that God has a plan. He knows the beginning from the end. He knows, and it's been said, and I agree, if we knew what was going to happen 20 years from now was going to be a benefit by what happened today, We would probably say, okay, God, bring it on. I'm ready. All we can do is trust by faith that God knows what he's doing and and be able to understand that. Then in in verse 6 it says, And they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. They obeyed. I think so many times, you know, about how difficult is it for us to obey sometimes. God says to do something, we go, well, God, uh, I'm not sure I want to do this. (laughs) God, they might get mad at me. God, you want me to go talk to that person who has power to put me in prison? And they don't like Christians? You, You think about Paul. What was Paul's heart desire? He wanted to go preach to Caesar. The Caesar at the time that he was doing that was Nero. Nero hated Christians. And Paul's whole goal was to get to talk to Nero and give Nero the gospel message. Even if it was going to cost his life, and it did. He was beheaded after he talked to Nero. Do we have that kind of attitude that we're God, no matter what you ask me to do, I'm ready to serve you 
no matter what. Now, on one side, I can understand Paul because Paul understood something very important. To be, to be absent from this body is to be present with God. The greatest thing that somebody can do to you is kill you. Hopefully it's quick. <laughs> so you're not having to suffer because I leave this world and I go into the presence of God. When I was in high school, guys going, well, I'm going to beat you to death. I'm going, just make sure you do because I don't want to have to suffer anything else. They go, what? I go, well, when you kill me, I go to heaven. So just make sure you do the job right. You know what? Most of them walked away because they thought I was a nut. And I was good. <laughs> but I also meant it. I understood that if you killed me, I went to heaven. Do we really understand that? The worst thing that can happen to you is you get persecuted and get put into pain and suffering. Because then you have to go over and over and over again through the suffering. But even that, God has a plan on. Now, and I love it. Paul and Silas in the jail of the Phil of the, in Philippi, after they had been scourged, thrown into a prison, and after they scourged you, they did not bandage you up. They did not give you healing, healing potions and, and painkillers. And what were they doing? Praising God and singing hymns at midnight. Can you imagine what those other prisoners were? Would you all just shut up? <laughs> You know, how can you be doing this at midnight after, after what you went through? And then the Philippian church started out of that, that activity. We need to be able to go through this. Now I'm going to skip down for just a moment and we'll come back to Herod. When the apostles got back, they told Jesus all that they had done. And you can picture they're excited. Demons have been cast out. People have been healed. They've, you know... Have you ever been someplace where you got really high spiritually? You go to a big men's retreat or a week-long, a weekend-long retreat or something, and you come back, you're on top of the world. It's a wonderful feeling when it happens, but then you go back to work. <laughs> and the real world comes back in, and all of a sudden you start coming back down to earth. And I think Jesus was taking them aside and kind of saying, this is what's going on. You need to be ready for when, when this has happened. It's wonderful. And one of us says, it's good, but don't, don't give thanks that the demons listened to you, but that God was on your side. And then I said, the people found him. <laughs> the people found Jesus and the disciples. And it says, Jesus taught the people of the kingdom of God and healed them. I don't know about you, but it's kind of interesting to me that Jesus was constantly reaching out to people. Never once do we see him complaining about all the crowds. Uh, I am not like that. I don't even like crowds that much. <laughs> and I can't imagine being thronged everywhere I went. It would get on my nerves, and I can picture that it had to at times in his humanity been all right another crowd <laughs> another crowd but he saw the crowd differently than we did he saw the crowd as another group of people that needed to hear the gospel message and turn and repent and we need to be able to do that now I want to just take a quick look at Herod Herod the tetriarch the the ruler of that land heard all that was going on he's been watching this crazy guy you know the healer going around all over the place. Now he sent out people with power to do things. And it says, he heard all this and he was perplexed. Now, 
This is one word in here that is probably not the best uh, translation of this. It was, he really did not understand what was going on at all. all right. Herod has been afraid all this time of Messiah's coming. And he's hearing the rumors that this guy is claiming to be the Messiah. Matter of fact, what did he do 30 years before when the, when the wise men came and said a king has been born in this land? He killed all the babies two years and under. You know, he was ruthless when it came to solving these Messiah problems. All right? So he's perplexed. Who is this? What is going on? Because some people were saying it was John the Baptist. John the Baptist is back. Some were saying, hey, it's Elijah or Elias in the King James. Uh, some were saying it's one of the other old prophets. This guy's powerful. He's able to do things. People are getting healed. We're seeing miracles happen. And so Herod's up there, you know, wondering what's going on. Who is this walking around the town? He goes, I've killed, you know, I beheaded John the Baptist. It is not him. Now, if he's resurrected, then, then God had to do a few, a few miracles because I gave, my, gave his head to my, to my niece and, and put his body in another place. So God had to really do a big miracle if it's John. Now, uh, and he is very perplexed. And it says here, uh, he desired to see him. Now, I'm wondering why he desired to see him. <laughs> I think if Jesus had ever seen Herod, uh, that would have been the end. He desired to see John, and John came and never left. Now, now we look, though, even in the case of John, Herod did not want to kill John. It was his wife who belonged to his brother Philip before he killed Philip and took his wife, who wanted him dead because she said, because he had said their, their marriage was illegal. And she got really mad. Herod at least understood the Jewish laws. He understood that what they had done was wrong. And he, had, you know, he didn't like the message. But his wife, Herodias, got angry <laughs> and plotted John's demise. And because Herod had made a promise to his, to his niece, he had to keep that promise. And that was to give her what she asked for. Because he said, you can ask for whatever you want up to half the kingdom. Never did he expect that she'd ask for the head of John. And she went to, to her mom and said, what should I ask for? And she said, ask for the head of John. Can you imagine being, asking that for your gift? All I want is the head of that person on a platter. And I don't think it was her that wanted that head on the platter. It was definitely her mom. She was probably grossed out by it. You know, she going, hey, I could have had anything. I could have had the best school in Rome. I could have, you know, I could have had the best, the, the best person. And she ends up asking for the head. Because Herod was spending time talking to John. So I don't know if this desire to talk to Jesus was, I want to hear what this teacher has to say, or I want to get him out of the way. We don't know. And we never will, because it was never fulfilled. But it says that he desired to see Jesus. I kind of think he did want to hear what Jesus had to say spiritually, because he was interested in John. It says that he went to talk to John. He called John to him. He didn't like John's message most of the time, but he was interested. He is like so many people when we talk to them about the gospel. They're interested in the gospel, and yet they're pushing away on the gospel. Because the gospel says you can do nothing except turn to Christ 
and he does all the work. And the message is really interesting and it's so simple and so good. And then pride kicks in and saying, well, what about me? <laughs> what do I get to do in all of this? And unfortunately, many Christians get caught up in that. They get saved by grace and faith, and then they get caught up in works. All right, God, I got saved by grace and works. Now I've got to keep my, keep my salvation by doing all these good works. I have to tell you all, we're saved by grace, we're kept by grace, and we're going to be glorified by grace. It's all about grace. Does that mean we just go out and sin all the time because it's all by grace? No, because if Christ is living in us and the Holy Spirit is living inside us, he changes us to make us more like him. And we find out over time that we are doing more good things that God tells us to do because he is changing us from the inside out to be more like him. And you find out, people look at you and go, you're really, you're really a religious person. I really, and I've always told people, no, I am not religious at all. I am in a relationship with the God of the universe, and he is making me who he is because when you are with somebody and you hang out with somebody, you become like them. And we've all told our kids, be careful who your friends are. We need to do that even as adults. <laughs> be careful who our friends are because we will become like those that we hang out with. Isn't it wonderful that when we hang out with Jesus, we become like him? I love that. He, it just happens. I'm not following the rules because I'm afraid of discipline. I'm not following the rules because I'm afraid that he's going to, to throw me into hell if I don't do it or give, take away my salvation. He is changing me to be like him because I spend so much time with him in the word and my mind is being renewed. My mind is being transformed into his. We get the mind of Christ by spending time with him. And the more we spend time with him, the more we become like him, the more we care about the lost world, the more we will witness, the more we will have a lifestyle that draws people to him. Because he is changing us. And I love watching it when people start to really get to know God and you watch their life change. And you're going, yes, they've got it. They know what's going on. They're moving forward with God. And this is where God, Jesus is. Jesus invested his life in, for four years into the disciples. 24-7. I, you know, with him. They saw how he reacted to crowds. They saw how he taught. He saw how he, the compassion he had on, on the lost world. And they were able to become like him with the power of the Holy Spirit in them because they knew what to do. Very important because our command from God is to go and teach the gospel, baptize, and make disciples. Unfortunately, if people do any part of that, they'll talk about the gospel, maybe. But you know, that's just the first, first step of all of it. The most important step is make disciples. And for those of us who are Christians, who are you discipling? This is a very important question. Who are you discipling? For many years as a father, my major discipling was done with my kids. Discipling my kids to follow Christ. Since then, I keep asking God, God, who, who are my disciples? Now, for the most part, many of the churches, uh, especially the ones that are here on Wednesday, uh, 
Sunday night and Wednesday nights and Thursday nights, they're, they're, they're the ones that I know that I'm discipling because those are the ones that are here all the time. Who are you discipling? You should be pouring God's life into somebody, his truth into somebody. The second question to be very important is, who is your discipler? Who do you go to when you need answers, when you're looking for help? We all need those type of people in our life as well. And I've got about two people that I can look to and say, this is my question. Now, after 50 years, they don't like to hear my questions very often <laughs> because my questions are fairly deep. I've got a son that will call me up and when he gives me, when he asks for a question, it's like, okay, I'm gonna, I know my answer is gonna be, I'm gonna have to go check this one out because I've been pouring into his life for his entire lifetime. You know? And so when he asks a question, <laughs> it's gonna be a deep question because he knows just about everything that I knew to pour into him. And when he asks a question, it's like, okay, <laughs> Let's, let's look this up. But my question for you all is to really think about who are you discipling and who is your discipler? Because you do need those people in your life. Jesus discipled the 12 disciples and hundreds of others. His church was very large. You don't ever get to think that they were the only ones that were with him. There were hundreds of people that were always with him and then crowds of thousands of people at times. But just think about this, you know, who are you ministering to is very important as you go forward. Lord, we just thank you for this day. Lord, help us to learn to share with others. Help us to learn to reach out and minister. We ask that you will guide us into who we are to disciple and help us to identify who our disciples are. Lord, if there's anybody listening online or in this room even that doesn't know you, we ask that today they will make a decision to say, God, I am a sinner. I deserve punishment. I believe that Jesus died for my sins, come into my life and save me, and that they will communicate with a, another Christian and share this with them. And we just thank you, Lord, bless us as we go about our business this week and bring many back into the, the various studies we have. In Jesus' name, amen. Listening friend, do you know where you'll go after you die? Without the gift of Jesus, it will be an eternity in hell without God. Good works will not get you there. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. To spend eternity with God, we must recognize that we are sinners in need of Christ. For all of sin and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. To be assured eternal life, we simply talk to God, admit you are a sinner, and ask him for his free gift. You must mean the words to get the, to be answered. Jesus is waiting to hear your request. If you have asked him for eternal life, he has come into you and he will change you. Start reading the book of Ephesians and see what God says about your new life. After you understand the book of Ephesians, you can start reading the Gospel of John. Next, find a good Bible teaching church. Tell the pastor about your decision for God and be taught. If you contact us, we will send you a new believer booklet free of charge. Congratulations and grow in Christ. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by snail mail at P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona 86431. 
We are happy to help with your new life in Christ or even answering Bible questions. Again, congratulations on your decision for Christ.